Okay, we are talking about the church today, and it's going to be more of an overview. Uh, there's going to be a lot of scripture. Um, I think it's, it's proper to begin uh, our discussion on the church, not with real practical things or real method, methodological things, but really scriptural truth for uh, what the church is and what it's all about. Um, I have a brief... <laughs> Obligatory Mother's Day tie-in to what we're talking about today. So go to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, I'll just read this. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. We are all uh, children of the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the church. The church, uh, God the Father and God the Son, it's really the bride of his Son, well, they have, uh, in, in some way, allegorically it says, um, we are children of that mother. God is the father, the church is our mother. And I know that the, uh, the church fathers, the ancient church fathers, um, put a lot of emphasis on that. That we have a father who is, is, you know, who is God, and we have a mother who is the people of God, nurturing, cherishing, growing us up, caring for us. Uh, here in our time on earth. So much of what the church does, much of the mission of the church, is a very motherly uh, mission, a motherly task that we have. Uh, so just a little Mother's Day um, tie-in there. We, we appreciate our mothers, and, and um, the work of a mother is much more than just an earthly role. It, it really is a heavenly, it speaks to heavenly realities about who God is. And we could spend, obviously, a whole hour talking about Talking about that truth, uh, what it is about God that's reflected in motherhood. We'll leave it at that simple fact that a whole lot, <laughs> a whole lot about the image of God is reflected in motherhood. So we appreciate you all, especially first-time mothers this year. Um, welcome, to the, welcome to the club. All right. Um, so I'm glad we have several weeks to do this because uh, it means we can... Slow down a little bit, uh, start with some scripture, lay some foundations. And um, I had you read Ephesians this week because it's the perfect book to, to talk about the church. Both the scriptures in it, the information, the data that it contains about the church. But also, uh, just the whole way Ephesians is structured. The first half has to do with uh, real deep theological truth. And Paul says he is trying to, in the best way he can using language, describe the work that God has accomplished through his son Jesus by the Holy Spirit in, in his people. Right? And he, he spends three chapters unpacking that. Uh, that, that uh, we'll go through a few of those scriptures here. But then in the last half of the book, he turns to the so what and the practical outworking of that truth that has happened the, uh, the cosmological <laughs> uh, shift that has occurred because of 
Jesus, because of Christ coming in the flesh. Uh, now, what kind of people should we be? And there's a lot of practical truth. It's no less theological, but it does turn to the more, so what do I do? How do I act? Okay. Um, so, the first section deals with who we are in Christ. The second half deals with how we relate to one another in light of who we are in Christ. And this is the perfect way to talk about the church. Uh, so that's what I want to do today. I want to talk about the vertical aspect of the church, which is us being related with God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then I want to talk about what that means horizontally in our relationships with each other. Um, so really, those two aspects are going to give us a great overview of the church. And then we can, from there, over the next couple of weeks, we can get into more of the... Uh, I don't know, the, the nitty-gritty details of, of how God really does build the church and the kinds of relationships that are there. Um, but we need to go to, uh, first of all, and I, again, I said we're going to do a lot of Scripture. So um, we're going to start in Matthew 16. This is the first place in the New Testament where the church is mentioned. And it's, only, it's one of two places in all the Gospels that, uh, that that actual word is used, the church. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Paul, Paul uses the word a lot, and it, it's a very New Testament word, but in the Gospels, it's, it's actually pretty rare. But Jesus himself talks about the church in two places in Matthew. One's in chapter 16, one's in chapter 18. And they're very interesting what they tell us. Um, verse 13 of chapter 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell him to tell no one that he was the Christ. So Peter comes to a realization, a revelation. Uh, not just a realization, it's, it is a revelation of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus makes the point that that's... <laughs> That's important. The revelation that Jesus, the man Jesus, which was his human name, is the Christ. Okay, and we, we have to slow down there because we, we, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christ. We, we speak of it as like it's his last name. But that's, that is the foundation of the church. The revelation that Jesus, the man, is the Christ. What is the Christ? It's the Messiah. One way of saying it in a sort of uh, <laughs> an informal way, a non-technically theological, is Jesus is the man. He is the human. He is what humanity should be. That's one way of, of saying what Peter had confessed. Okay? 
and it would take a long time to unpack that. But, but that's a shorthand way of, of understanding, because you can brush over that, and it doesn't really register with you what Peter has just said. But what he has said is, this man, Jesus, is what God had in mind when he said, let us create man in our image. This is the man that God wants to bless so that he can be a blessing. This is the man that God says, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the man whose image is the image of God. This is him. This is what mankind should be. So when Peter says, this is the Christ, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, then that's an important part too, the son of the living God, as we'll see in, uh, in Ephesians. You are the Christ, you are what humanity should be, and what humanity should be is sons of God. And that's been the plan since the beginning. And I'm glad that we just finished the study of Genesis because a lot of this resonates with us. Right? This is what God is looking for. This is what he was looking for in the garden with Adam and Eve. Um, so there's two things here. Jesus is the man, what humanity should be, um, in that he is a son of God. Okay? He is the son of the living God. Number two is it says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There is a spiritual revelation that has happened in Peter that allows him to see Jesus as what God has always been longing for in his sons, in his, in his creation. This is the reason God brought everything into existence. This right here. This Son of God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he says, On this rock I will build my church. And there's a... So the Catholics take this verse and they say Peter was the first pope. Um, you don't have to put those in tension with each other. All right? uh, some people say, no, it's the revelation that is the rock. And some people say, no, it was Peter, the man, he was, you know, God gave him the authority. And now we have apostolic succession after, you know, from Peter onwards. I don't know if the scripture is trying to address that debate. Okay? What it says is Peter realized this. God said, yes, that's what I'm looking for. And he said, that's the church. That's the foundation of the church. Now, we, we, don't, we can just leave it at that, right? Whether it was Peter the man or whether it was the revelation Peter had, it doesn't matter. Here was a man who received a revelation of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, yes, that is the rock on which I will build my church. And that's it. And that is the foundation of the church. It's Christ Particularly the revelation of Jesus as the Christ in a man. The revelation that happens by the Holy Spirit. All right? So let's go to Ephesians. And we can begin to understand some of what Paul is getting at here. Uh, Ephesians 1. Start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very packed, <laughs> packed phrase there. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us 
for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. When Peter had that revelation, he was realizing that this is what it's all been pointing toward. That this is, this is what we've been predestined for. Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Um, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So in the beginning, God had a relationship with his son. He said, I like this. We need more of this. Let us create man in our image. And God predestined that that would be the nature of his relationship with his people. I want, it, it's this. I, I choose this. This is how I want to relate to my sons like this. This is good. Let us do this. Let's have more. And then it describes the plan of redemption. Forgiveness of sins by the shedding of Jesus' blood, which is the recovery program. And he says, so now we, re- we realize that ever since the beginning, God has been working this plan to unite all things, to have this moment in history, in the fullness of time, To unite all things in Jesus. Now, what does that mean, unite all things in Jesus? It means to bring heaven and earth together. (laughs) Heaven and earth together, which were separated uh, in in Eden when God cast them out. God could no longer come and just walk with man in the cool of the day. There There was a division, a wall set up, a flaming sword, in fact, between God and his people. And now there was this division. And all through the Old Testament, we see... God trying to, to prepare a place to come down and meet for heaven to come and touch earth. Right? And there's this one little tiny place and a little tent and a little temple that one time a year you can come and heaven touches earth. Right? It also touches earth in the prophets when, when the Spirit comes and, and you know, inspires a prophet or, or anoints a king. Those are moments when heaven touches earth. But God says, no, we we don't want little bits and pieces of heaven sometimes being united with earth. Heaven and earth are to be one, right? And the plan for the fullness of time was in this man, Jesus, to unite heaven and earth. But it also means to unite people, right? To unite heaven with earth and to to unite people with each other. People with God, right? But also people with each other. So unity is the goal, and unity in Jesus. All right, now this is a lot of stuff, and, and I, we don't have time to spend. We could talk a lot about unity. We could talk a lot about what that means. But suffice it to say that God has said from the beginning of time, it will look like this. And the whole plan of redemption was to get us to the, to the place where we would all be united with him and with each other in Christ. He is the point of unity. In him, he is all in all. And so we see several times in, uh, in the opening part of Ephesians, really mind-blowing statements about who Jesus is, okay, who Christ is. Um, so we get to the end of chapter 1, and it says this. 
And he put all things under his feet. This is Jesus. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I mean, when you read that in your morning devotions, you just kind of like go, oh, great. And then close your Bible and go about your day. I can't, I can't. I don't know what all that means. <laughs> I don't know how to grasp that, right? That the church, this thing we call the church, is the fullness of Jesus, who fills all in all. So the church fills all in all. The church is the body of him who fills all in all. I don't know how to really unpack that in a way. It's sort of like when physicists try to explain to me the fourth dimension. Right? I think that all we can really do is sort of have a two-dimensional model of a three-dimensional model of the fourth dimension. Right? I don't know if we can really grasp the depth of this, but it's the truth okay? that the church somehow <laughs> is the body of Jesus, and he is, it is the fullness of him who fills all in all. God has wanted to unite all things in heaven and earth in Jesus, and he has done it. And the result of that has been the church, which is his body, which means it's the place where everything unites, where people unite, where heaven and earth unite. We're all being brought together in one. Heaven, earth, you and me, us and God, we are all brought together in this thing called the church, which is his body. And he has been given to the church as head. Okay. Um, which is kind of interesting because we talked about, we, we, we often talk about around here that you don't join a church, you're given to a church. Well, Jesus himself was given to the church as the head, but he's still given to the church. Right? He knows his place. He knows who he is in light of his people. He is the head. All right. So uh, we go further along. Chapter 2 this is where we start to you know, go from these big mind-blowing truths to, okay, it starts to take a little bit of shape in our, in our, in our mind. Uh, verse 18, through him, we both, and he's talking about at this point, Jews and Gentiles, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And let me just say, and this becomes more important too in, in, in chapter 3, one spirit, one body. Okay? Jesus said it to Peter. Flesh and blood can't reveal it to you. It's my Father in heaven. Right? The people who, are, who make up the church are people in whom the same spirit has given the same revelation. Right? He gives a Jew that revelation. He gives a Gentile that revelation. He gives a slave that revelation. He gives a free man that revelation. That is the revelation. And that's why there's one spirit. Jesus is the Christ. Um, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, so this is what the church is. 
people who have received the revelation of Jesus as the true humanity by the Holy Spirit. You, you, can't, you can't feign that revelation, right? Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Paul is saying, it's, it's one spirit. People in whom the Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus as the Christ being joined together and built together into a dwelling place for God. That's what the church is. Okay, that's the picture that's, that's forming for us of what the church is. It's by the Holy Spirit. Okay? The church does not operate on human terms. Okay? If it's the church, it's the Holy Spirit building it. Okay? So mankind can call whatever they want the church. <laughs> but there is a church that is one spirit, and it's one body, and it's, it's people in whom one revelation has happened, and they're being joined and built together into a dwelling place for God. You can also look at 1 Corinthians 3.11, which talks about there is no other foundation. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. All right? And you can also look at 1 Peter 2, 4-7, which talk about Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. Uh, and he's become the cornerstone. And that's where it talks about us as living stones being built together into a temple. Uh, same, same sort of language. So the, the first and most important thing to know about the church is that the cornerstone of the church is Jesus himself and the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, as the, as the man, as what God is looking for in humanity. Okay? We are true humans insofar as we resemble Jesus. Okay? That's what it means to be human, to be like Jesus. That's what, that's what Jesus did when he came, is he redefined what it means to be truly human in, in the eyes of God, according to the purpose of God. Okay, so Christ is the cornerstone. And you can't belabor that point enough. Because you can't, once you start to build, everything is built on top of that. Okay, and JP knows the importance of a foundation. Uh, but I think we all sort of understand the idea. You don't have to be a builder to understand that if the foundation's bad, the whole house is bad. It could be an immaculate house, really well crafted, really beautiful. But if the foundation's bad, the whole thing is shaky. Okay? So Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, it always has to start there. Particularly that Jesus is what it means to be human. He defines for us what God is looking for. And you cannot have the church where that revelation has not happened. That we see Jesus and we see that we need to become like him. That we need to be in him. And only insofar as we are in him are we being what we are created to be. Okay? So, um, Ephesians turns at the end of chapter 3. It's talking about knowing Christ by the Holy Spirit, having this revelation deep in our hearts, particularly of, of this, a revelation of Jesus, of his love. Okay, this is what Paul prays right in the middle of the book. This makes, I would say that this is the cornerstone of the cornerstone, to know the love of Christ. 
To know that that was what God is looking for, but ultimately to know that the reason he's looking for that is because of love. Is because the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And that's what was so good about it in the beginning. That's why he wanted to create mankind, to have someone to share in the love that they share. Okay, so not just a theological revelation, but a revelation of, it's a very personal revelation, a very intimate revelation of the love that Jesus has. For you, yes, but also between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and that kind of love. So here's what he says in, in chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, this is verse 14, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner, inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, right? This is a communal thing. So that you all together would comprehend with each other what is, uh, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Talk about four dimensions. Um, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Right there in the middle of the book. This is what it all comes down to. You've got to know something that surpasses knowledge. Right? Scripture's not ashamed to say you're going to know something you can't even really know. <laughs> now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Paul's great prayer in the book of Ephesians is what all of, I think, chapters 1 through 3 boils down to, that you together would know the love of Christ. Now we can build the church. Now let's talk about relationship. Now let's talk about structure. Now let's talk about authority. Now let's talk about all these things. You can talk about all these things once you understand The love of Christ in a deep, deep, deep way. That is what the church is all about. All right? So, we start to talk about the horizontal nature of the church. The the, the one another, the each other part. The with all the saints part. Um, And we see that love really is the key revelation here. Because it goes on in chapter 4. I therefore... Therefore, what? Therefore, in light of this revelation of the, of the unknowable love of Jesus, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. All, 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 and this great word, but grace was given to each. (laughs) Each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
then he starts to talk about the eachness of the church. Okay, and this is where it really gets awesome. Where you really start to relate to individuals. And they've been filled with the knowledge of Christ by the Holy Spirit. They've received the um, revelation of Jesus as the Christ. But they're nothing like you. And this is where the, the fullness starts to come, come to light. Because Stephen and I are very different from each other. But we are more like Jesus when we're relating to one another than we are by ourselves. Um, let's keep going. So he says, and he, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? Building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There again, it's the knowledge that this is what it means to relate to God, to be his sons and daughters. Till we know that the Son of God, and that's what we are to be, sons and daughters of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, and here's the dynamic of the church. We talked about the cornerstone of the church. This is the fundamental activity of the church. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the church. That is a picture of the fundamental activity of the church. So what is it? The primary activity of the church is loving relationship. Okay? It's not evangelism. It's not discipleship. It's not correct doctrine. All those things are important and definitely belong and have their place in the church. But the fundamental activity of the church is loving relationship. Where doctrine trumps loving relationship, you've gone astray. Where evangelism program trumps loving relationship, you've gone astray. Where discipleship, where children's ministry, where youth group trumps loving relationship, you've ceased to be the church. The fundamental activity of the church is loving relationships. Loving one another. And you can't, so that's why, that's why you can't, that, that's why you can't get, get ahead of that, right? That's why we're very slow to have structure and program around here. Because we're trying to figure out how to have loving relationship. And that takes a while. And that's a, that's a difficult lesson to learn. Um, and a lot of stuff can come, and we can excuse ourselves from having to love one another by being able to participate in something that makes us feel like we're good Christians. And God comes and he says, well, that's great, but did you love each other? That is going to be what lies at the heart of it. So, Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. What does that mean? It means that we, we are all united by the fact that we affirm that Jesus is the way that humanity should be. 
We want to be like him. And we've seen him as the man. And in the church, by the Holy Spirit, we've realized that because of the love that Jesus has for us, how we should live in relationship with one another. And so at the very forefront, our, our top goal, really our only goal, everything, everything needs to come under the category of loving relationship. Okay, loving relationship. So here's some, here's some thoughts I have, and this is kind of the takeaway thoughts from, from this overview of, of the church. Number, number one is there is no church where the revelation of Jesus as the Christ has not taken place by the Holy Spirit. Call what you want, the church. But that, that, that's, that's not the church. Right? If there is a place where Jesus is not affirmed, maybe he is, but it's been by flesh and blood. Right? No, the church is there when the Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus as the Christ to someone and they've responded and said, yes, that's who you are. I affirm that. I believe that. But then the other cool thing about that is wherever there are two or three people gathered who affirm that, there's church. There's church. Um, And this, uh, I want to go real quickly to Matthew 18. So that would be the second point. Wherever two or three or people are gathered in the name of Jesus. And because of that revelation, who are seeking him together. He's there and that's that he is dwelling in their midst. Um, this is in Matthew 18. And this is the other part in Matthew where the church is mentioned. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Which is the same thing that he said when he was talking to Peter about the church. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And I've heard this scripture used in Bible study classes about the dangers of taking scriptures out of context, right? Well, this isn't talking about, because a lot of times you'll open, you'll hear a church service open with, you know, if it's a poorly attended church service, they'll say, hey, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am, right? And (laughs) so then on the flip side of that, I've heard, you know, Bible teachers say, well, that's really not what it's talking about because that's being used in the context of church discipline. And blah, 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 blah. Which is, is true. I, I get what they're saying. But here's the point. Jesus knows exactly the context that he's talking about. It's our idea of church that makes this confusing. Jesus said, hey, you've got two guys trying to hash out relationship. Sounds like church. <laughs> And I have to think that this exchange between the brother and the other brother, and they're trying to work things out, is much more in line with what Jesus saw as the work of the church than what we see as the work of the church. Namely, a weekly gathering, 
with music and whatever, and, and programming, and something for people to kind of come and, and get fed and then go home and go about their lives. No, this is church. This is where two or three are gathered. So this gives me a lot of hope because, you know, we're pretty good at that, getting together in smaller groups and trying to, trying to understand each other and really getting frustrated and not being able to really hear until some other people come and set us straight and then we can really move on with our relationship. <laughs> that's the church I know. Right? And that's what, I love about, that's what I love about church because that is what Ephesians 4 is talking about. Speaking the truth in love, we are to learn how to love each other and get to the place where we're no longer children. We're no longer immature but where we know how to relate to each other. We know how to love each other. And we've been corrected where we needed to be corrected. And we have uh, gotten to where we are that joint that's not out of joint, but where we're working properly. And now we can grow and we can build ourselves up in love. But that's church. So wherever two or three are gathered, it absolutely is talking about a church. The problem is people assume church means one thing. Church is two or three people hashing it out. That's absolutely church. And that is, uh, that is getting to the place where we need to get to. Okay. Um, next thought. Well, let's see. Um, let me just read my notes here so I don't get too off track. Uh, if you see church primarily as individuals who love Jesus, working toward truth and unity with each other, then this is absolutely the proper way to interpret the scripture, and this is absolutely church. Okay, that's what I said. All right, um, so the next point. Regardless of the level of organization and programming, the church is founded on a revelation of Jesus as the true humanity, and it's formed along the lines of relationship. Okay, regardless of how polished a church is, regardless of how informal a church is, it's founded on a revelation of Jesus as the true humanity. So that's its formation. And it's, that's its foundation. And it's formed along the lines of relationship. Okay? So sometimes we are called a relational church. That's like a school calling themselves an educational school. Okay? Church is relationship. The dwelling place for God is the act of relationship. Does that make sense? It's like in Psalm, what is it, 133? How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord commands blessing. He shows up in the act of relationship. You got two guys trying to hash it out. Wherever two or three are gathered, there I am. I show up. Okay, so in two or three people where the revelation of Jesus as the Christ has happened and where the act of relationship is occurring, Jesus Christ comes and fills the temple of that relationship. And that is what he is looking for. That is what the eye of the Lord goes to the earth and he says, where is this happening? I'm going to go there and show up. That's where I want to dwell. That is the house I am looking for. Um, so a relational church is simply a church. <laughs> okay. 
I don't know how you can have a church that's not relational. Because the whole point of it, right? And this is, this is not just New Testament truth. This runs through all of Scripture. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? This is not a new truth, as 1 John would say. This isn't a new commandment. It's what you've heard from the beginning. But it's new in that now we are filled with the loving one. And now we really do understand what love looks like. And that because of the Holy Spirit, because of the life of Jesus, he can now bring us together in true love and in true unity because of what he has done. And because he is now able to give us that revelation of Jesus as the one, as the Christ, the son of the living God. So that's the foundation of the church and the formation of the church. Um, And I think that gives us a great launch pad to go in and and now talk about some of the more specific things about the church. But we we had to take a week and do that. Um, Not not so much practical application, right? Um, Except that I wanted to do communion at the end. And I think this is probably one of the best practical applications that we can respond with to take the body and blood of Jesus, to take his life into ours, and to all be partaking of the same loaf. Right? This, is, this is the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. And this affirms that we are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Um, so I do want to, as we, as we come to communion, these are the things that I want us to remember. These are the, these are the truths that I want us to have in our mind. Um, Jesus is the one. This is what humanity looks like. This is what pleases the Father. This broken body and poured out blood of his, of his beloved Son. And this is who we are as we receive that revelation. Um, so as we come up to the table, let's remember this. And let's rejoice that he has filled us and he has revealed this to us, not by flesh and blood, uh, but by the Holy Spirit. And that he's given to us to one another, that we can worship the same God. And that together with all the saints, we can comprehend uh, the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.